Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Losers complain about the college football slate in the upcoming weekend. Winners, like you that watch this show, you just love that we got ball being played. We're glad to have you here. It is the Hard Count, the people's college football show. It's college football every single day of the year. It is Prediction Tuesday. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad to have you part of this. Prediction Tuesday is pretty true to the title of the show. I mean, it, it is exactly what it says it's going to be. We're predicting a lot of games for this upcoming weekend. But we had some news break, I mean, in the last hour and a half, if you will, leading into this show, we had some news break more or less last night with Dan Landing saying, basically, I'm not leaving. Leo DiCaprio's season is upon us, where people all over the country are letting you know they're not leaving. Quinn Ewers got in the action this morning. Dan Landing, like I said, made it very clear last night. What does it mean for Texas and for Oregon? We'll talk about both those situations with both of those individuals making it clear they're not going anywhere. Big time, obviously, for both Oregon and the folks in Austin. Giving you our nothing but ball top 10 as well later in the show. Now, this is not a projection. This is also not anything specific to the AP poll or the college football playoff rankings. We, we weight the eye test pretty heavily when we put that top 10 together. But for us, we're going to give you our top 10 teams. Pretty true to the title of that poll as well, where we're watching college football. Nothing but college football. Every single Saturday, sun up to sundown, and that's how we give you our feel on the top 10 teams in the country. Speaking of top 10 teams in the country, we think Georgia has a very strong case to be the number one team tonight in the college football playoff rankings. They go to Tennessee this upcoming Saturday. That's going to be a good one now. Because for Tennessee, I mean, hasn't gone the way that they were hoping it had gone to this point in the season. But if you beat Georgia, talk about an album cover kind of when you can slap on the front of your 2023 season and say yeah it didn't go exactly as we had hoped but guess what we beat the back-to-back national champs in Neyland I promise you there would be a there would be a need to order some uh, some more goalposts because I think those goalposts would join the others in the river from last year's Alabama game we'll give you our pick in that one and we'll give you our feel as to pertains to uh, Georgia at Tennessee also Louisville at Miami we say it every single week on this show And y'all already know this because you're diehard college football fans, but I think a lot of people on the outside of the college football landscape, those kind of fringe college football fans, uh, I don't think they know that Louisville is very quietly a college football playoff contender. Spoiler alert, they're in our top 10 teams in the country this week in the nothing but ball poll. They go to Miami. Louisville's just kind of churning right along. Got a top 10 win over Notre Dame. Do they keep their college football playoff hopes alive? Huh? We'll talk about it, and we'll talk about that game at Miami as we give you our pick there. Also, a nice little clash on the West Coast. Washington at Oregon State. Don't look now, but at the time of us being live, Oregon State is actually favored in that football game. So we'll give you our pick in that one as uh, Washington. Speaking of the college football playoff, uh, I think they'll jump up to number four tonight. Just full transparency. Will they stay in that top five, top four conversation after this weekend? Has a lot to do with how they look in Corvallis against the Beefs. Glad to have you here. Very, very glad to have you here because it's college football and only college football every single day. If you're new, just ask a couple of things. First and foremost, subscribe to the channel because when this season finishes up, when they're done playing games, we're not done talking college football because we understand 
Just because the game stopped doesn't mean the sport stops. You got transfer portal popping off. You got recruiting popping off. We got signing day around the corner, both of them, early and late period. Make sure you're dialed in here. Everything you love about ball happening here. No agendas, nothing extra, just ball. Second thing I'm going to ask, if you could follow me on the socials, that would be the best way for us to interact and involve y'all into the show as much as possible. Like, obviously, we're live three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. But outside of those live portions, we're going to go to those socials and hear from y'all, and we're going to craft segments around y'all's thoughts, around y'all's takes. I get DMs all the time asking me hypothetical scenarios, and we did a segment on that last live show or last Wednesday live show. Bottom line, if you want to be dialed in as much as possible to what we got going on here on The Hard Count, follow me at J.D. Pakel, Twitter, Instagram, best way to do that. All right, let's jump right into it. Can't waste too much more time. Let's have a great Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, the last one in history. Let's make it a great one. And let's start off with Quinn Ewers. Timing of this is a little bit intriguing because you would think maybe they would play out the rest of the season. Heck, if Texas goes on a tear and wins the Big 12 and plays for a national title, they win a national title. Is Quinn Ewers still coming back? Because at that point, his draft stock is probably booming. But sounds like he's pretty settled on it. Sounds like he maybe has the intel he needs to make this decision. And at a broad strokes perspective, like this makes a lot of sense. Because for Quinn Ewers, the whole deal with where he's at right now as a collegiate quarterback is to try and position himself as much as possible to be in the best spot possible for when it comes time for his name to be called in the NFL draft. And you look at this draft class, man, like it's, it's pretty loaded. You got Caleb Williams, you got Drake May, but then also you got Jaden Daniels, who's been putting on a clinic this season, probably should win the Heisman Trophy. Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix. Carson Beck may come out. Like, I, like this, this class is loaded. And so if you're Quinn Ewers, you're saying, okay, well, I didn't get to really show my stuff either this season. And you pair that with how loaded this draft class is, you wait one more cycle and maybe, he, maybe he's the first quarterback off the board. I don't know. But I think that this makes a lot of sense from, a, from a, a professional perspective. Now, one more thing to consider here. If you go out and ball in the SEC, if you're Quinn Ewers, Think about the filter that is for scouts to assess Quinn Ewers. Because no knock on the Big 12, but if you're playing against NFL Junior every single Saturday in the SEC and you light it up, I think that would do a lot for his draft stock. So, last thing I'd say, I think it also helps his NFL projections because he's only 20 years old. Like, Quinn Ewers cannot purchase an adult beverage right now. He'll be 21 in March. He left high school early. We forget that a lot. So if he stays another season... By the time he gets drafted, he's older, he's got more game experience, he's more developed. Like, I think as a whole, football is different than the NBA in the sense that, like, youth is not necessarily a good thing when it comes to your professional prospects. You want to have as much game experience, as much development as possible, and Quinn Ewers positioning himself now to do that. So what does it mean for Texas is the next question. Like, first and foremost, y'all hear that? It's the hype train coming down the tracks. It's already at full speed. Typically, it takes, like, a winter to spring to really get it revved up. It is it is full bore right now. That, that hype train in Austin is all the way on and popping, especially with Quinn Ewers coming back. Uh, you cannot put a value on experience at the quarterback position. You just can't do it. Because if Quinn Ewers had decided to go pro, like a lot of us expected him to do at the beginning of the season, you're turning to Malik Murphy or Arch Manning, which either one of those guys would have been first-year starting quarterbacks. I understand Malik Murphy started some games this year, but to be the guy going into the season... And to be going into the SEC, it's a difficult task, I think, for either one of those guys to try and manage and live up to. So as a whole, now you go into the SEC with a proven commodity at quarterback. And here's the other thing to consider. Who else comes back with him? 
like Jonathan Brooks, according to Pete Thamel, it sounds like he's going to come back for another season after tearing his ACL, and you hate that for him, but you get Ewers and Brooks back. Looking at Adonai Mitchell, and I don't know what his draft stock is in the NFL world, but you would have to imagine seeing his quarterback coming back and a chance to even improve his draft stock even more. Maybe he says, hey, you know what? I'll spend one more year in Austin. I liked how I was used in this offense. And if Xavier Worthy leaves, maybe Adonai Mitchell gets even more targets, even better production. I'm just saying this could kind of be a snowball effect where it's a thing of, oh, hey, Quinn, you were just coming back. You know what? I could I could do another year on the 40 acres. I like where this thing is headed. Yeah, maybe I want to go help myself in my draft stock by playing in the SEC and letting scouts see what I have in that department. I think it's a good deal. I think it's a good deal, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a uh, of a chain reaction here in terms of guys that could be on the fringe of leaving, deciding to come back because of Quinn Ewers coming back. Now, here's the thing that all Texas fans are probably asking today, because you're fired up that Quinn Ewers is coming back. You're stoked, for the most part, because you have someone proven leading you into the SEC. But there's that small check in your spirit of like, hmm, well, what happens now with Arch Manning? Because the law of nature in college football says you cannot keep a three-deep stacked quarterback room. And for Malik Murphy, I think it would make a lot of sense if he decided he needed to play. Malik Murphy's waited his turn, been in Austin for a while. Thank you so much, you know, Texas, but I'm going to go and, and try my hand somewhere else. More power to him. I don't think anybody would have an issue if Malik, if Malik Murphy decided to do that. Now, the real question would be, well, what happens to Arch Manning? Because a lot of people were saying the plan was coming in red shirt, Quinn Ewers ball out, go to the league. Arch Manning, your team next year. That was the thought in a lot of circles. I don't know if that was the thought internally at Texas, but on paper makes a lot of sense. So now your question is, well, if he's not going to have that plan come to fruition, does Arch Manning transfer? I think it's a fair question, but, but the way that I'm looking at this thing, Arch Manning committed to Texas because of Steve Sarkeesian and quarterback development. Both of those things are still intact at Texas. The reason Arch Manning is at Texas right now, nothing changed about that. Like, if he wanted to play early, there were a lot of schools that Arch Manning, I promise you, could have gone somewhere and started as a true freshman. I don't know if it's somewhere the caliber of a place like a Texas, but that wasn't what the the end goal was. The end goal for Arch Manning and the Manning camp, you would have to believe, is to position him, similar to Quinn Ewers, in the best possible spot for when it's his time to be drafted in the NFL. And so the way that I'm looking at this, you just have another year now to get developed, to learn from Quinn Ewers, to get more comfortable in the system, more comfortable in college life, another year in a collegiate strength and conditioning program. Like, I think overall, this could be a net positive for Arch Manning. There's the small disappointment of, man, I thought next year was going to be my year. But to be a first-year starting quarterback as a redshirt freshman in the SEC, I'm not saying he couldn't do it. I'm just saying you would have to believe that his odds for success are probably a little bit higher given another year learning, another year in the system, another year developing behind Quinn Ewers. Also, who's to say that he doesn't get a shot next year? Who's to say that Quinn Ewers has some issues staying healthy like we've seen the last couple of seasons? So at the end of the day, I think Arch Manning and his camp are seeing the big picture. And Quinn Ewers coming back for another season shouldn't deter Arch Manning from that end goal and shouldn't deter him from what he wants to achieve at Texas. Everything he came to Texas for is still there. Steve Sarkeesian, quarterback development, that offense, all still intact. So Quinn Ewers coming back, and that is obviously very, very good news for the folks in Austin. And I don't think it's a thing where you trade Quinn Ewers and his year of eligibility for having Arch Manning on your roster. Just my two cents. Hey, appreciate everybody dialed in. 
Love having y'all here. Loving having y'all a part of the show. Make sure you've liked the video. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to use our redemption codes. We got people that are kind enough to, to bring the hard count here, and they're, I say kind, like they do it because we know we have an audience here. And y'all are providing that feedback for them that, hey, people are dialed into the show, so they're dialed into people bringing you the show. So Prize Picks is bringing y'all the show today. We appreciate them doing so. Redeem code JD for 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks when you sign up. Y'all have been crushing it on that front. Again, if you want to support the show in another way, that's a great way to do it. Again, redeem code JD via prize picks. So we gave out our play this past Thursday, and it's a tough one. It's a tough one. There was a lot of unforeseen circumstances, not making excuses, just kind of telling you what, what happened and telling you how it is. We had Colston Loveland going for more than 35 and a half receiving yards. We're saying, okay, Penn State, they play man coverage. J.J. McCarthy getting the wing loose a little bit against some better competition, and Michigan didn't throw a pass in the second half. Not because they were blowing them out, just because they said our big people are better than your big people. We're coming right at you downhill. See if you can handle it. And, uh, of course, Penn State could not by nature of that end result. Colston Loveland, in that sense, uh, did not get more than 35.5 receiving yards. So that did not hit. Dejan Edwards, 86.5 rushing yards against Ole Miss. We took the more. We're like, okay, Georgia going to be up against the blitz. They're going to have to run into it, get downhill, kind of beat up Ole Miss a little bit. And I mean, Georgia definitely beat up Ole Miss, but Dejan Edwards was watching a fair amount of that fourth quarter. Also split carries with Kendall Milton. So that did not hit either. We don't apologize for our logic. We do apologize for it not hitting where this thing goes. Michael Penix Jr., two and a half total touchdowns. That felt like theft. It, in, indeed, it was theft against Utah. The more hit there, so that was good. But the flex play itself, we needed two out of three to hit. That did not hit. Come back Thursday. You have my word. We will give you winners. All right. Also, if you did have a play that hit this weekend, message me that via Instagram. Get at me on Twitter. Let me know that y'all are making it happen on prize picks. And we would love to spotlight y'all on the show. Again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match, up to 100 bucks when you sign up. So we appreciate prize picks. And we appreciate y'all making this whole thing happen. All right, now. It's Prediction Tuesday. It's not Prediction Tuesday if you don't predict games, all right? So we're going to do that right now. We got a big one in Knoxville, Georgia, at Tennessee. Georgia, favored by 10, 330 Eastern, CBS. Y'all, I think this is the last time we're going to get both these teams in a 330 Eastern CBS kick. All right, so enjoy the jingle. Enjoy the 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 broadcast itself because this might be the last time I think this is actually the last time we're going to get this kind of situation for both Georgia and Tennessee but for Georgia man they are a machine they're a machine they continue to roll they throttled Ole Miss left no doubt remember the Titans style run it up leave no doubt and there's a new wrinkle here for them in this game because they've been impressive against Missouri against Ole Miss but now you got to take the show on the road and Kirby Smart said this will be our toughest prep of the season I don't think he's lying that's the challenge now for Georgia. Can you go into an opposing territory and look the exact same as you did when you're at home? Because great teams now, they're the same whether you play in the parking lot or whether you play at their home stadium. They're actually going to a more difficult spot in the parking lot, which is, of course, Neyland Stadium, which is phenomenal. We were there for the South Carolina game. That place gets loud. How does Carson Beck respond? We'll see. For Tennessee, we talked about it at the opening of this live show. Hasn't been the perfect season. Hasn't been the follow-up to what you had hoped you would have based on the rocket fuel you got from the 2022 season. 
But with that being said, if you beat Georgia, that changes the entire optics of what Tennessee did in 2023. I think it also changes the way you feel about the rest of your season, going into winter conditioning, going into the bowl game, going into spring football, like turkey's going to taste better at Thanksgiving. The pillows you sleep on at night, they're more comfortable if you beat Georgia. The weather is probably a little bit better. doesn't matter if it's 32 outside. It'll feel like 75 and sunny if you beat Georgia in Neyland this upcoming Saturday. Not to mention now, probably a nice little boost to recruiting. Package that up and say, hey, you want to come be a part of what we're building here at Tennessee? Just beat the back-to-back national champs. And oh, by the way, this thing's headed one direction. Come be a part of what we're doing here in Knoxville. I think you could say that. That would be huge if you beat Georgia. A very big if. Are they going to do it? Well, we'll predict it right now. The spread is 10. At last we checked, it was favoring Georgia minus 10. Whenever we have a double-digit spread like this, we give you what we call our non-negotiables. This has to happen for Tennessee to win this football game, to have a chance to win this football game, all right? For me, it's, it's about starting fast. And that's simple to say, hey, you got to be able to score points and get up on Georgia and put pressure on them. That's all true. But the key thing within them starting fast, in my mind, that would happen is you get the crowd into it. Like you want to take advantage of home field, start fast. Get a set, strip sack and be able to turn that into points and go up 7-0. Joe Milton hit a deep bomb to Squirrel White. Go up 14-0. If they can get some mojo, if they can rattle Carson Beck, things get interesting. Because that's the second part of this, and it probably goes hand-in-hand with being able to start fast. But you got to find some way, shape, or form to impact Carson Beck. Whether it's James Pierce coming off the edge, he's a freakish freshman. Keep an eye on him, big 27. We haven't seen Carson Beck be rattled just yet. Now, to be fair, we also haven't really seen him in a super difficult road environment outside of Auburn. How does he respond in a spot like this with all the pressure on him, with all the talk around the college football playoff and wherever Georgia's ranked tonight? Like, I think this is something to keep an eye on with this spot, but rattling Carson Beck has to happen. Has to happen if you're Tennessee. And again, goes hand-in-hand with starting fast and getting that crowd rolling. Something to watch for in this game now as well. Josh Heupel's offensive scheme, I mean, we know, but he's a wizard. Hogwarts grad with the way that he dials it up against some of the young guys that are playing for Georgia, especially in the second level of that defense at the linebacker group. C.J. Allen, freshman linebacker. Raylan Wilson, freshman linebacker. Both guys done a phenomenal job in some limited playing time with Jamon Dumas-Johnson out of the lineup. How do they look against this scheme, against Tennessee? Because what Tennessee does schematically, and you'll hear people talk about this a lot during the week, with the way that they spread you out, they force a lot of your defenders to spread out with them. So when you have defenders spread out with them, what does that mean? It means the guys there to stop the run, there's fewer of those. In football terminology, that's considered to be a lighter box, okay? You'll hear that a lot. Hey, Tennessee, they force a light box, this, that, the other. What does that mean? Essentially, you need your linebackers to step up in a big way. Small Munden obviously has to do a phenomenal job doing that. The safety's got to do a great job doing that. These freshman linebackers, they will have to grow up quick, fast, and in a hurry in this spot. Because if Tennessee's able to get the run game going against that light box and take advantage of this youth, well, then they get the mojo. Then it goes back to what I said. The crowd gets into it. Then they have a chance. They can sustain drives. They can keep Carson Beck off the field. You make Joe Milton's job easier. It's crucial for him to be dialed in this game. Like, that's the other part of this. You better be able to be very, very, you know, error-free. I mean, it may take a perfect game from Joe Milton. And I'm not saying in the sense of he has to complete every single pass, but I do mean he has to be able to hit the shot when it's there. Whether it's the deep shot, 
whether it's the intermediate 10-yard out route or the dig route, whatever it ends up being, Joe Milton's got to be dialed in. Being able to run the football and kind of mess with those freshman linebackers, that could end up being kind of the, the path for him to have an easier passing lane. Because those freshman linebackers, I would have to imagine, they'll be looking to stick their nose in there in the run game. Did that a lot in high school. We're really good at doing it in high school. It's why they're at Georgia. But if you can take advantage of their potentially over-aggressive nature, more passing lanes behind them, good things are happening for Tennessee offensively, and then things get interesting. Now, if they can't do that, if these freshman linebackers are playing to the caliber and the standard that Georgia has created internally, well, then you force this Tennessee offense overall just to probably sputter a little bit. And the reality is you can't sputter against Georgia offensively. You just can't do it. You can't spot them a couple of possessions and say, you know what, that's fine. We'll catch up with them later. Not how it works. Georgia's playing too well. Carson Beck's playing too well for that to be an expectation for you. So very, very important that they take advantage of some of that youth on Georgia's defense. So here's my thing, man. Georgia, they're just so multiple. They're so multiple and they're so efficient on the offensive side of the ball to where Tennessee, I think you got to throw the kitchen sink at them at some point, maybe even early in this game. Like I said, try and shake Carson Beck's confidence. But whatever you try and take away if you're Tennessee, they have answers to. If you want to try and key on the run game, Brock Bowers is back in the lineup. Dominic Lovett is finding his stride. Ra-Ra Thomas is looking good. Like You, you, go, you go down, I think Ra-Ra Thomas got a little bit dinged up uh, in their last game, but I think he should be okay, hopefully. Don't know the latest on that. Bottom line, they got weapons. Whoever it is on the field, whoever's healthy for them, whoever's not healthy for them, Georgia has guys that they feel really confident if you try and give them a one-on-one matchup, they will take advantage of it. Now, if you try and key on the pass game, you got two backs now that are finding their rhythm. They ran for over 300 yards as a team against Ole Miss. I don't think you like the way that that looks if you're Tennessee. So, at the end of the day, man, I think Georgia's just on a tear. I think there's a path here for Tennessee. I do think it takes a effort from them defensively we haven't seen to this point in terms of creating turnovers and I think it would take a near flawless game from Joe Milton it's possible they're dangerous in this spot obviously coming off a little bit of a of a bounce back against Missouri I think Georgia wins I think Georgia covers and I think for Georgia this is another resume boost depending on where Tennessee's ranked tonight but if you're Tennessee that's where I really want to focus because for Georgia like the main thing is the main thing they're undefeated they keep on rolling they've already punched their ticket to Atlanta it is what it is for Tennessee Let's not panic. Let's not panic. Let's understand now that this year was probably going to be a letdown from last year based on not having Henry Hooker in the lineup and not having Jalen Hyatt. It's okay. You don't doubt what Josh Heupel's done there. You don't doubt what he's got in place. It is what it is. You take your lumps. You move forward. Play your bowl game. Finish the year strong. Like That's, that's kind of the, the sentiment I want to make sure we clear up here. For Tennessee, just because you lose to Georgia, if you lose to Georgia, don't panic. Now, again, if you beat Georgia, we'll come in on Sunday and talk about it. But I want to make sure we get ahead of this and have that conversation. Nothing wrong with Josh Heupel. Nothing wrong with the way that he does things. Nothing wrong with the defense. Georgia's really freaking good. And I expect them to play like it this upcoming Saturday. We'll see what happens. Man, it's, uh, it's that time of year, man. A lot of impactful football games being played. But that's the thing now. They're all impactful, right? They're all impactful. This might be the last year where every single game is as impactful as we've seen it be in the regular season. We'll talk about the 12-team playoff when it gets here, all right? That's all I'm going to say. Now, uh, speaking of uh, the playoff, and a team that's maybe in the hunt for the playoff right now is the Oregon Ducks. 
We'll see where they are when it comes to the college football playoff rankings being released tonight. But last night, you had Dan Lanning making some waves and, and making it very, very clear, hey, I'm not going anywhere. His name been linked to the, the Texas A&M opening. And good for Texas A&M. Like, I think you would be stupid to not even give him a call and not make him say no to you. But Dan Lanning made it very clear yesterday, there is zero chance I will be going somewhere else. We'll talk about it right now. First things first, though, make sure you're subscribed right here. College football, only college football, every single day of the year. If you're watching this, it's from a cut from a live show that we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're dialed in. You can follow me on socials at JD Piquel, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're on all those. Get at me on there. We'll let you know when we're going live. We appreciate y'all in advance for being a part of this. So an outsider's first reaction to hearing Dan Lanning say, there's no way I'm going anywhere else. I'm glad to be here at Oregon. He said, there is zero chance I'll be coaching somewhere else. I have unfinished business here at Oregon. Outsider's first reaction, kind of a pessimistic, annoying first reaction will be, yeah, but he has to say that. Dan Lanning's got to say that just to save face and kind of, you know, throw everyone off his scent. Like, we know he's still taking calls behind the scenes. Uh, He didn't have to say it the way that he said it. Dan Lanning was emphatic, as emphatic as it can be. And he could have been a little bit more short when he answered that question. If he wanted to kind of keep the door open, he could have deflected. And I think Dan Lanning is also extremely smart. Like he knows to say what he said in the fashion that he said yesterday. If he were to go take another job in a couple of weeks or after the season, that clip would live forever. (laughs) And it would make, I would imagine, a fair amount of people unhappy in Eugene. And heck, just even across the college football world because of how much conviction and passion he's had when he made it very clear he's not going anywhere. Uh, But here's the other thing I think we got to talk about when it comes to Dan Lanning making it clear. Hey, listen, I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I don't think you can use the average lens that you would use to assess a head coach when they speak that you can with Dan Lanning. Because he, I mean, he made it very clear in, in the way that he answered this question. He said, I'm not concerned about the things that a lot of other head coaches are concerned about. I'm taken care of very well here at Oregon. I'm not after a new contract. I'm motivated by winning. One that fires you up. If you're in that locker room, if you're an Oregon fan, if you're just a college football fan, I think you identify with what Dan Lanning said as being like, hey, I would go play for that guy. I would go run through a brick wall for that guy. And you can smell fake. Like just us in general, as human beings, you can spot fake pretty easily. But even to make it a finer point on that players that are in the locker room that are part of the Oregon football program they can spot fake really easily and just seeing how Dan Lanning interacts with his players seeing how other people speak about him there's nothing fake about him there's nothing fake about what he said yesterday I mean he coached the Georgia defense all the way through a national title then took the Oregon job now I don't think you're probably leaving Georgia before the national title if you're the DC there and then taking the Oregon job after you know, I, I don't think there was any probably, I think it was a difficult decision to make for anybody, but I think that also speaks to his character. Nolan Smith said on college game day when he's picking games, he's like, hey, Dan Lanning, I love you. Go Ducks. Like, former players don't have to speak about their former coach that way. It's not something that Nolan Smith was like, you know, somehow propped up to do. He's doing chest bumps with guys on the sideline. He's running full speed into his linebacker or his safety when he's forcing a fumble and making a big hit or getting a sack like, you can, you can spot it very clearly in the heat of a game. You can't lie about who you are when you interact with your players. They either respond to you or they don't. This Oregon locker room, this team, is 1,000% bought into Dan Lanning and how he operates. 
Nothing phony about him. Also, to be clear, he's always been this way. Like, we sat down and talked with him in the offseason. I mean, he has a story where he drives, I think, double-digit hours to go and get an interview for his first GA job that he eventually got. Like, this is who Dan Lanning is. He cares about winning. He cares about football. The contract, I think it'll, it'll come when it comes. Like, he's already got a, a big contract. And I would have to imagine there's probably a bigger contract on the horizon if he keeps doing what he's doing at Oregon. Now, to flip this whole conversation to a different facet, even if Dan Lanning did care about the things that other head coaches cared about, even if that statement was true, there's still zero reason to leave Oregon if you're him. National brand, I think you have enormous backing with Nike and with what people know when they see that Oregon logo. Also, they're winning. Like, he's got this operation to a spot where it is extremely competitive. When the college football playoff does expand next season, you would have to imagine Oregon's like a routine visitor to that thing. There's no reason to leave if you're him. Why would you go somewhere else to Texas A&M where you got to push this thing back up the mountain? People would say, well, it's money. JD, the SEC, that's a big-time job. Well, Oregon's about to become an even bigger-time job than it already is when they join the Big Ten. I talked to somebody yesterday that said, all coaches that don't have an SEC or a Big Ten job, the majority of them, they would want an SEC or a Big Ten job, regardless of where they're at. Now, there's situational things that play differently for different coaches, but like overarching, I think that's true. And Dan Lanning, moving into the Big Ten with Oregon, fits the bill. There's no reason for him to leave. So Dan Lanning making it very clear, he's not going anywhere. Nothing fake about him. I don't think there's anything fake about what he said. And I cannot wait to see what he builds here in the next couple of years at Oregon because I think it's going to be something special. So be a lot of fun to watch. But you just appreciated the way that he said that, too. You appreciated the demeanor and the transparency and just the way that he operates. We've always appreciated it. We continue to appreciate it. And uh, Dan Lanning, and ever since the word, a program guy. All right, let's jump into this next part of the show. Uh, we've sort of shifted with how we've broken down our top 10. Now, if you want to get the top 10 ASAP, as possible, Michael Scott style. Uh, we release these on my socials on Sunday mornings. Nice graphic for you. But we, we break it down during the week, and we've done it in a one-off video. We've done it during different live shows. Trying it out right now on the Tuesday live show, so let us know what y'all think. And if you want it at a certain time or a certain day, we want to give you all the content you want to see. So the way that we break down our top 10 teams is in a certain poll that we title the Nothing But Ball Poll. Nothing but ball top 10. And the reason why we call it that is because that's the only filter we're using to assess this top 10. It's not a thing where we're looking super closely at these different analytics and we're not looking at like time of, you know, leading in different contests. Like we're watching college football, just like y'all. Okay. So Saturday morning, we're up, we're watching game day, big noon, whatever, all the way through Pac-12 after dark. Get you a little bit of caffeine, get dialed in. 10.30 Eastern kick, let's roll. That's how we consume college football because that's how you consume college football and the people with other polls out there, I don't know that they necessarily do it that way. But with that being said, here's our top 10. At number 10, we got Oregon State. And Oregon State, they feel a lot like Utah to me by nature of the brand of football they play. Only two losses on their resume right now. They're still in the Pac-12 title conversation. Very big game for them this weekend against Washington in Corvallis. Not much more to say about them. They will be much higher on this list if they beat Washington this upcoming weekend. But the way that they are just so rock solid in their identity under Jonathan Smith, they're dangerous every single week. And you love to see the way that they're operating in Corvallis right now. Again, number 10 right now in the nothing but ball 
pole. At number nine, you got Louisville. Louisville, man, they're, they're tough on the line of scrimmage. They're allowing three yards of carry. And don't look now, but their resume is also pretty solid. Top 10 win over Notre Dame. Top 20 win over Duke. They could crash that college football playoff party. You know it because you watch ball. A lot of people on the outside, though, I don't know if they understand how close Louisville is to breaking into that top four. It would obviously require an ACC title win over a team like Florida State, but we'll see. Keep an eye on Louisville. They're number nine this week in our top 10 in the nothing but ball poll. At number eight, you got Texas. And I'm concerned about Texas because they've, they've sort of tread water to this point in the year, especially without Quinn Ewers. My question is now, can they get back on shore with Quinn Ewers back in the lineup? They were up big over Houston before he got hurt. Let him back into the game. They were up on Kansas State with Malik Murphy playing quarterback. Let him back into the game. Up on TCU. Let him back into the game. Three of the last four wins for Texas have been decided by one score. I want to see a little bit of a kick from them. And people are going to be upset with this top 10 because we don't have Texas ahead of Alabama. We'll talk about Bama here in a second. Say, well, J.D., we beat them week two. Yes, 100%. We were there. They were dominant. Texas absolutely still could be a college football playoff team if they win the Big, uh, the, if they win the big 12. But they haven't played like that team that beat Alabama in a minute. So I'm curious to see what they do the rest of the way. We're dropping them based on the eye test. But make no mistake about it, Texas absolutely is a team that should feel pretty good about their chances to make the college football playoff if they win out. Now, like I said, we got Alabama at number seven. College football let the wrong team get hot. There's no other way to say it. They let the wrong roster, the the wrong head coach, the wrong quarterback find their rhythm in November. If you want to blame anybody, I think you blame Ole Miss. No shade on Ole Miss. I'm just saying they had them. Had them. Had them in a spot where Bama was down, and if you took the life out of them then, they would have been a two-loss team, not even have to worry about the college football playoff conversation. But Bama, man, the thing with them, yes, they're hot. Yes, they're scary. There is nothing about Alabama that is them playing above their level. Like, Alabama's not a team that's just kind of caught fire and got a little bit of magic and they're playing at a level they're not supposed to play at. Like, Alabama actually is getting better. They have more in the tank, I believe, and they're playing at the level of their roster right now. The definitive nature of Jalen Milrow, the way that he's running that offense where he's getting downhill running the football, the way that he's putting defenses in conflict, and they're worried about him running the football now, and he can throw the ball downfield. Like, everything about Alabama is actually working how it's supposed to, to the level of that roster. So nothing fluky about Bama, nothing that's crazy about Alabama catching their stride like they're actually just catching their stride because they're that good the number seven for us right now in the nothing but ball pull now at number six we got the Oregon Ducks and Oregon I wholeheartedly believe is a top four caliber team the issue with them not being in the top four is they're blocked a little bit by where Washington's at right now so they got that ticket they're waiting to get punched to be a top four team but they probably have to wait till the Pac-12 title game to get that ticket punched but as of right now Oregon, sitting at number six, handle business. If you went out and you beat Washington in the Pac-12 title game, which we all expect to get that matchup, I think you feel pretty good about finding your way to that top four. At number five, you got Washington. The thing with Washington, man, they just have an elite right hook. And what I mean by that is when they have their haymaker going, and their haymaker is Michael Penix Jr., dealing the pill like a shady pharmacist to any of their outside weapons, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, if they have their guys rolling, and it's connecting, like game over. <laughs> game over. It doesn't matter what you're doing offensively. If you've scored 40-plus, they'll score 50-plus. That's kind of the nature of what they've been to this point. Ask USC. Ask Oregon. Now, Washington, not to say they don't have any weaknesses, but when they're on and when they're connecting, they're tricky to stop. 
So also the way that they're running the ball lately too is something to watch for. But Washington at number five this week for me, I would not be surprised at all if the college football playoff committee tonight says, you know what? Washington, that went over Utah. That says something. It's a resume boost. Put them at four. No argument here for us. They're number five. At number four, I got Florida State. And Florida State to me is more drill than bulldozer. Because you look at Florida State and the resume, and, and they, they looked good, obviously, early in the year. They beat the top five LSU team, and I don't think that win is aging poorly by any means. Uh, beat a ranked Duke team. They beat Clemson. But the thing with Florida State is you watch them play, and you're like, man, I'd love to see a little bit more, uh, more of a blowout from them. I'd love to see more dominance from Florida State when they play Miami. love to see more dominance from Florida State when they play Pitt. I think that's fair. I would have the same argument actually about Florida State if you were to try and keep them out of that top five but the thing with Florida State is the eye test will only matter if they let it matter because that number to the left of their rank of their logo the ranking that is it's not going to matter if they got a zero in the loss column so Florida State they're content to just be that drill that just chips away at you chips away at you chips away at you eventually they strike oil they win the football game in Mike Ravel gritty fashion from this Knowles team they're rolling right now too I think they will be undefeated. I think they will be in the ACC title game. And I expect them, we know they're going to be in the ACC title game, but I think they will be a team that has a chance to just win and be in in the college football playoff. So we'll see what happens. For me, the number four right now, I'm not overly concerned about the way that it looks, just the fact they're getting it done and the matchups they have on the outside and the way Jordan Travis is playing. I think Florida State is a top four team in the country. At number three, this is where we differ a fair amount from the college football playoff committee. We got Ohio State. And for Ohio State, like, they just have the infinity stone of, off- of offensive weapons with Marvin Harrison Jr. Line of scrimmage is much better. They're much better on defense. They have a top-five unit there. But the way that they will win these big-time matchups, the Michigan game, whenever they play in the college football playoff, should they get there, it will come down to number 18 and the way that he impacts the game. And credit Ryan Day and Brian Hartline because he will impact the game to the nth degree by, by nature of the offensive game plan they're rolling with now. I mean, you watched them play this past weekend against Michigan State. It was get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Get it to him on a reverse. Get it to him on a screen. When he's rolling, it's unstoppable. When the hands are even in the deck, he is the ace. Ohio State at number three. We have him at three because of the eye test. But even so, I think they have every opportunity, and we know they have every opportunity to be a college football playoff team if they beat Michigan that last game of the year. And if they do, it'll be a big credit. It'll be a big reasoning because of 18. Now, number two, we got Michigan. I mean, they are the big kid on the playground that you play pickup with. They're just going to body you in the post, and there's nothing you can do about it. They are the best big people team in the country. They proved it last weekend against Penn State. Expect them to keep proving it this weekend against Maryland. Tricky spot because Maryland can score points. I still think they have more, which is scary. They're at number two because of the eye test. Could potentially get a boost tonight by nature of that, you know, resume boosting win over Penn State. But even so, like Michigan is who they are. Comes down to that game against Ohio State. They're the best big people team in the country, to put it simply. Now, at number one, we got Georgia. There's a scary scenario right now for the rest of college football we have reached the worst case if you're preying on Georgia's downfall because Georgia's now in a situation where the offense kept trending in the right direction without 19 and now you add 19 back into that formula and it's scary because Dominic Lovett has elevated the run game I think has elevated Carson Beck has elevated and now you add back in your best player I said it on one of our uh, Sunday videos 
like when it comes to what Georgia was without Brock Bowers, it was like whenever you broke your arm in grade school and you had to dribble with your offhand, Georgia's now gotten really good with their offhand. And so they're ambidextrous as an offense. They're scary. They're the best team in the country. Weaknesses for them from week to week, you don't see the same weaknesses for Georgia week in and week out. They do a really good job of remedying those. And again, I think right now, based on eye test, based on resume, they are the best team in the country. So to recap it for you, the nothing but ball top 10 has Oregon State at 10. We got Louisville at nine, Texas at eight, Alabama at seven, Oregon at six, Washington at five. I got Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan, and then Georgia at number one. I would not be surprised, just so we're all on the same page here, I would not be surprised if Washington was at four for the committee. I would not be surprised if they put Michigan at one, Georgia at one, or Ohio State at one. Could have a lot of variance this weekend, but that's why they play the games. That's why we have these Tuesday nights where we watch what the committee does, and it'll be a real good time. So we're excited to talk about it, excited to uh, get a feel for that this upcoming Tuesday. I guess tonight, rather, and get a feel for it this weekend. All right, got to go quick here as we're rolling here. Got Louisville at Miami. Big-time matchup in the ACC. The main thing is the main thing for Louisville here. They're favored by one noon kick on ABC going on the road. Jeff Brom and the job he's done in year one there has been nothing short of elite. They're rolling right now is Louisville. They could be a playoff team. The third time I've said it this show, they could be a playoff team. Miami, they're dangerous. I think they're better than the record says. They're playing a tough brand of football. You have to show up every single week and see Miami. They're allowing three yards a carry. They're rushing for five yards a carry. They're a gritty football team in the trenches, just like Mario Cristobal wants to coach. They fit his persona now at this point in Coral Gables. Now, Tyler Van Dyke is going to be the starter in this game. Emory Williams went down, broke his arm, feel horrible for him. Tyler Van Dyke, you're back in the lineup after being benched. How he handles that psychologically and how the Louisville defense attacks him, I'm curious to watch that matchup. Because the path for Miami in this game, to win this game, it exists, but it exists and it requires zero turnovers from Tyler Van Dyke. Because Louisville, they're going to attack you now. They've been phenomenal getting turnovers to this point in the year. They've got a sack rate right around 8%. They're going to be aggressive. So the question I have in this game for Miami, can Tyler Van Dyke get comfortable? This is twofold. It falls on the staff to put him in positions to be comfortable, meaning can we run the football well? Can we give him a simplistic game plan where he doesn't have to process the defense at a super computer kind of level? Just give him easy throws, let him get back into the flow of things, let him feel supported, let him be supported. Other part of this now, when Louisville does bring pressure against Miami, does Tyler Van Dyke have a good gauge for where his outlet is? That safety comes off the edge. I already know, read and react. I got my check down right there. Get it out to him quick, fast, and hurry. That is going to be key. Jamari Thrash, the Louisville receiver, is going to have a big impact on what Tyler Van Dyke has to do. Because Miami, now, they haven't scored more than 30 since September. Let me rephrase that. Miami has scored over 30 one time since September. And Jamari Thrash is the most explosive weapon for this Louisville offense. And if he's able to get rolling, like if they're able to do what they want to do and involve him in the offense and have them, you know, score some points and get leverage on Miami, things could get interesting because Miami, like I said, they're not built to really chase at this point. And if you ask Tyler Van Dyke to start winning the game for you, then things get a little bit hairy by nature of how he's turned the ball over to this point. So curious to watch that one. Worth noting too, the effectiveness of Jawar Jordan against this Miami run game or run defense, rather, is going to have a pretty solid impact on the attention you can give to Jamari Thrash. Because I think if, for, if you're Louisville, 
you're content just to run the football. They're a 55% run team. That's who they are. But for Miami, if you're getting gashed in the run game and you got to bring that safety down to try and stop it, or you, or you have to stack that box a little bit more, well, then you have less resources to account for Jamari Thrash than he gets loose. But to go back to that point, I mean, if you can't stop the run game for, for Miami, if, you, if you're having trouble getting Jamar Jordan on the ground, then that might just be how Louisville plays. And Jamari Thrash could have a pretty pedestrian stat line and Louisville could win the game by a sizable margin if you can't stop the run. Now, to be clear, I don't expect that to be the case. I think Miami will do a good job stopping the run and selling out for that. So it goes back then to Jamari Thrash being explosive. Also, we should talk about this with Jack Plummer. All the shade that Tyler Van Dyke is getting with how he's turning the ball over, Jack Plummer hasn't exactly been the most cautious with the football either. 16 touchdowns and nine picks on the year for Jack Plummer. Now he's been a little bit better as of late, but I don't think it's unreasonable to put ourselves in the scenario where maybe Jack Plummer is the one with the turnovers. Maybe Jack Plummer is the one having some issues being able to take care of the football. Something to watch for. Because if they create extra possessions and give Miami some mulligans offensively, and Tyler Van Dyke gets comfortable. We've seen Tyler Van Dyke be really good, which is why this is so confusing that he's played so poorly to this point in the year. We saw in 2021, he was considered like a top five quarterback heading into the season. With that being said, we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, the turnover battle obviously will have a very big impact. And what you ask Miami to do offensively could have an impact on that turnover battle. So we ask this question every single week for different games. And this is the one I want to settle on. This is the who's got the juice game of the week. Who's got the most in the tank? Because Virginia pushed Louisville around. Was that a, I say pushed them around. They pushed them to the brink, rather, is what I meant to say. Was that just like some weeknight weirdness? Was that a thing where Louisville just kind of had that game where they didn't really bring their A game, but had to find a way to win? And you had to tip to them and say, okay, reset. We're going to be who we are now. and We're going to go ahead and roll and play our ball. Or is it a thing where Louisville, we're, we're, we're seeing the, hey, low fuel. You get that alert, come on in the car, low fuel, check the engine. Is that Louisville? Which side of the coin do they fall on? Because for Miami, they're in a bounce back spot. And the question is fair for, hey, you just lost to your rival. You're already making a bowl game. You're not going to play for the ACC championship. Where are you at psychologically? Is this team sort of already moving on to next year and worrying about their draft stock for different guys and all that? Or is it a thing where it's like, hey, we got nothing to lose. There is nothing more dangerous than a soldier with nothing to lose. Which side of the coin is Miami on there? Because I think the approach for both teams will have a tremendous impact, obviously, on what we see on the field, but even more so with just how long either team hangs around. Because if Miami doesn't want to be there, Louisville could make this thing a little bit troublesome. On the flip side, if Louisville just kind of out of gas, then Miami, they could play spoiler and they could take down Louisville. There is a reality for that to happen. So I think Miami does actually end up making this thing very interesting. I think Tyler Van Dyke draws a line in the sand. I think we see him play better football. I don't know if he's elite, but I think we see him play better football. I think Louisville, they just have more to play for right now. Eyes on the prize. Jeff Brom's got them dialed in. I think it's close. I think Louisville wins this game by a field goal. I got 31-28 for the cards. Louisville's college football playoff hopes are still intact. All about that game against Florida State in the ACC title game. I can't wait to watch it. It's something to watch for. For Miami, it's only year two for Cristobal. It's not panic. Only year two. Let's watch how this team plays for him. Let's watch the brand of football they're playing. 
I would be a little bit slow to just define the Mario Cristobal era after a game like this because I do think they're going to play hard for him, and I'm excited to watch it. All right, now. Hey, we appreciate y'all being tuned in live. Appreciate y'all watching this show. We got some more for you tomorrow. We got some more for you tomorrow. We got a lot going on here at On3HQ from different commitments across the board on the On3Recruits channel, Inside Scoop on that channel. Make sure you're dialed into all these platforms. It's college football every single day. Tomorrow, I wanted to get to it today, but we don't have time, y'all, to be honest with y'all. Washington going to Oregon State. We got to pick in that one. We're prepped. We're dialed in. We're ready to go. We will have our prediction in that game for you tomorrow. Just absolutely stuffed to the gills was today's show, so we're not going to get to the Q&A. We're not going to get to all that. But tomorrow, you have my word. You'll have Washington at Oregon State. You'll have our prediction there. We'll get to the live chat. We'll have a ton of content, obviously, as we do every single Wednesday on this live show to talk about and uh, probably more stuff that hasn't even broken, talk about the college football playoff rankings. Bottom line, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here. Appreciate y'all for the 100 likes. We don't take any of this for granted. We're glad to have y'all a part of this. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. I'm J.D. Piquel for Nick Break. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.